This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear a panel discussion between Aaron Chung, Jeff Sir, Paul Kim, and Moses Park regarding the good, the bad, and the ugly of minority pastoring in majority churches. Aaron Chung is the senior and founding pastor of Exilic Church in New York City. Jeff Sir is lead pastor of New Life Church in Irvine, California. Paul Kim is the lead pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Encinitas, California. And Moses Park is lead pastor of Christ the King Dorchester in Dorchester, Massachusetts. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as these three Korean-American leaders share their wisdom and experiences. One of the things that we wanted to, to do today is to learn about uh, minority pastors that are serving in a majority context, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I'm joined by uh, three very esteemed colleagues of mine. Two of them could not uh, make it today. One of them had uh, family reasons, uh, and the other one, Abe, he, his flight got canceled. Uh, so he'll be coming in later tonight. Uh, but we are joined by three people and that have been serving in a multi-ethnic context. And so if the three of you can maybe briefly share your name, the name of your church, and the name of your presbytery. My name is Jeff Sir. I pastor New Life Church of Irvine, and I'm in the South Coast Presbytery uh, out in Southern California. Hey, everyone. My name is Paul Kim. I'm, I'm like one of probably 20 Paul Kims you know who are pastors. <laughs> so I'm one of those that will be forgotten. Um, and I'm a pastor at Redeemer, a church in San Diego in a place called in Encinitas, California. Hi, everyone. I'm Moses Park. Not to be confused with Moses Lee. I am the lesser <laughs> Moses. <laughs> But I'm way funnier than him, and uh, I serve as senior pastor of Christ the King Dorchester, part of the Southern New England Presbytery. Mo, you can keep the mic. How, how long have each of you been serving in your particular context? How many years? So I've been with my church for 13 years. Uh, started out in seminary, I've been there ever since, worked my way up, and uh, I've been senior pastor for the last four years, interim pastor for a year before that. Paul? I have been, uh, for 22 years, we planted a church in San Diego with Harbor Presbyterian Church. And 10 years ago, our congregation merged with a church, North Coast Presbyterian Church, and became Redeemer. And this fall, we're going to be celebrating 10 years of Redeemer, so 22 years. Nice. Uh, We planted the church about 11 years ago. Okay. And if each of you could kind of give a breakdown of uh, the demographics of your congregation and the city uh, that your church is in as well. Yeah, at our church, uh, there's no ethnic majority in our congregation. I would say we're about 30% Korean American, 30% Chinese American, another 15% Pan Asian, and 25% non Asian. Uh, I would say it's kind of an accurate or close to representation of the part of the city that we live in. Uh, there are a lot of Asians in, in our midst. Uh, we don't have as many Indians or Middle Easterners as reflected in our city, but everything else is pretty accurate. And Jeff, you guys are in Irvine, right? Yes, we're in Irvine, California. Okay. So we are in San Diego in a city called Encinitas, California, which is a beach north, uh, north coastal city in the northern part of San Diego. Our church is about 60% white and about 40% Pan-Asian. 
And uh, within the Pan-Asian mix, I would say uh, about Chinese-American slightly more than Korean-American, and I think a smattering of uh, different ethnicities. And Sanitas is a largely uh, surf culture area. Uh, then adjacent to it is Rancho Santa Fe, which is a very, it's like the Beverly Hills of like San Diego area. So, and a north side Carlsbad, so it's mostly white. And then if you go a little bit south in Carmel Valley and uh, into Del Mar, there's a, there's a pretty mix of Asian Americans, Indian, um, Korean American, Chinese American, and, and white. So that's a little bit of our, our context or milieu. So I wrote down all my answers, so just, I, I, I need this job, all right? So this is being recorded, so I'm just being careful. So our church, our church in Boston is based in a, uh, in a neighborhood called Dorchester, which is Boston's largest and uh, most racially diverse, as well as the most socioeconomically diverse neighborhood uh, in this city. It's roughly 40% black, 20% white, 15% Hispanic or Latino, 10% Asian, 15% other, and also... Um, historically been a safe haven for a lot of immigrants, immigrant communities, huge uh, concentration of Vietnamese refugees, lots of Irish Catholics, um, as well as the largest concentration of Cape Verdeans in the U.S. as well. Our church is racial makeup. It's 50% white right now and 50% black, brown, and an Asian. So yeah, that's our church. All right. Thank you. Um, just, just so you know what the roadmap for today will look like, uh, before we hear about their stories and how they ended up in their context, we also wanted to let you know that uh, the last 10 to 15 minutes of today's seminar will be open up to Q&A as well. Uh, and so if you can uh, get your motors turning for any questions that you might want to ask the panelists uh, towards the end, okay, because we do want to hear from you as well. But Mo, if you can kick us off, how, how did you end up uh, in the context that you're in versus a Korean American church and... The second part of the question is, was there a part of you that felt like if I stayed at a Korean-American church, I, I would still be playing in the JV league versus the varsity league? And so how did you end up there, and what was your mentality going into it? Sure. So I ended up in my church and really in the PCA by accident, right? Uh, I was given an opportunity during my first year of seminary to serve as an interim music director at a church that was struggling to find a replacement. And, and so they offered me this opportunity just to help out for a few weeks. And it really, a few weeks became a few months, which became a few years, and I've been there uh, for 13 years now. Um, you know, I assumed, when I assumed this position, I figured this would be a temporary thing. I never imagined it would be the, the entirety of my pastoral ministry so far. Uh, and I had zero intention of leaving the Asian American church. Prior to starting at Christ the King, I served for a year with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, at Boston University with the Asian American Christian Fellowship chapter there. So I was ride or die AZN, you know what I'm saying? Um, I had no intention of leaving the church, but lo and behold, this is where God has me. I will confess to you guys that um, even if initially I, I didn't have, have any uh, sense of superiority about being in a multi-ethnic context, and I wasn't seeking to leave the Korean church, mm. certainly for my first few years there, especially when comparing myself to my uh, Asian American peers, the specific context, it was really tempting to feel like um, I was doing something uh, more superior kingdom-wise to them. And I confess that right now. I, in zero way, feel that now. But uh, for sure, there was a, a season in which I drank the multi-ethnic Kool-Aid, and I thought, yo, I'm awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we, we moved down to San Diego as we were thinking about church planning in 2001, and part of our going into that area was looking for mentorship. And uh, we had that with Dick and Liz Kaufman. Dick was a, with Redeemer in New York. And, uh, and part of the vision there was to have a, a movement of churches reflecting kind of the broad whole scope of San Diego. So that was kind of a big attractive kind of pull and gravitational sense to move to San Diego. In terms of the JV uh, varsity, um, I think... I really had to wrestle with that question and how to respond to it. In, 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 I don't think so, but I think for me was wrestling through my own Korean-American identity and growing up in a space where I didn't grow up in a strong Korean-American church community or identity. So part of my upbringing and story was feeling like um, this unique space in a liminal space where I didn't feel like I belonged in a Korean-American church. And prior to planting, I was in a Korean-American church. 
and the language and the culture and stuff, I just constantly wrestled with it. I didn't understand stuff, and so I didn't feel at home. And then in that context, just kind of like not feeling where I fit in in this liminal space. Uh, even now, 22 mm. years later, in a multi-ethnic church, navigating and wrestling through that. But I think in God's kindness, stewarding that liminal space and pressing into my deeper identity in Jesus. So that's kind of been my story. Mm. Yeah, I thought long and hard about this question, too. Uh, complex beings with multiple layers to us. And so, so uh, I served as the EM pastor of a KMEM church for many years and was really happy there, doing well. Um, but the initial reason for leaving the KMEM setting was really for missional reasons. Uh, I wanted to plant a church where I could invite non-Korean non-believers where they can come and not feel like they don't fit in uh, because everyone else is Korean. And so that was the, the main impetus for leaving is, and, and wanting a multi-ethnic context. But underneath that layer was also a desire for freedom, not having to deal with in-laws, right, and not having to deal with the, uh, the struggle of working with KMEM dynamics but underneath that even more, which I won't get into just now, uh, was this Korean shame that was lurking under the surface that I didn't become aware of until very recently. Mm. Um, and so that's a little bit of my story. Mm. Um, every context, including the KMEM dynamic, has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the multi-ethnic context also has the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, before we talk about the bad and the ugly, uh, what are some of the joys and the good of serving in your particular context? And Jeff, if you can kick us off. Yeah, I, I love the fact that I don't have to worry about a person's ethnicity when I invite them to church. I, mm. I love the fact that they can come and have a, a high chance of seeing someone else that looks like them so that they can actually listen to the gospel without getting hung up on what, what am I doing here? Everyone's looking at me. Mm. So, so that's definitely good. Another uh, good thing is I, I love the, the multiple perspectives I get um, that I can't get in a mono-ethnic context. For example, a couple months ago, I was preaching on Passover, the, 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 the Lord's Supper, and uh, before that, I gave a call to one of our Jewish congregant members because I knew she grew up practicing Passover mm. uh, every year in their home. And I wanted to learn more about the liturgy of the Passover. And so had a conversation with her and was able to really enrich my understanding of what was going on. Mm. Um, I also love the fact that after the whole George Floyd incident um, and I preached on racism, I didn't have to quote African-American scholars or social media pundits. I could actually quote our own members in my sermon mm. and say, so-and-so struggles to be black in Irvine. When he goes shopping, he feels like everyone's looking at him. Mm. And so it's one thing to hear what someone else you don't know Says It's another to hear from someone who's of your own church family, and it gives immediate credibility uh, to the topic. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. By the way, if you're not holding a mic, it's, like, so awkward what to do with your hands. So if you see, it's like, oh, dude, like, you know, it's super awkward. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, two thoughts for me in terms of the good. One is just uh, the power of the gospel to bring relationships together with different people and ethnicities. And uh, an example of that is just this past year, one of our pastors, Brian Schaefer, when we merged, he was part of the church there, uh, he retired. And he's 20 years my senior. Uh, and um, big six foot four guy. And I love him to death. And uh, when he goes on vacation, he's like going to Yuma to go hunting for quail uh, in 110 degree heat. And that's awesome. I would not do that. And uh, there's such differences there, but it's been an incredible journey of pastoring together, learning, listening, growing together, wrestling together, shepherding our people together. 
And I can honestly say that this man would uh, stick his neck out for me, and I would too. And over the past 20 years, we've, I've seen relationships in, with people in different ethnic ethnicities, white, Asian, uh, grow in deeper understanding of sensitivity and nuance uh, in, in sharing as they feel more like in a safe spot to be vulnerable, to learn and to engage and just have a greater awareness. And I'm seeing people who would have never really, in one sense, never would have been friends together uh, in a context really live in community together. And that's been a beautiful thing. And the second thing I will say is uh, it has provided for us an, an initial open door for outreach. Um, two Sundays ago, uh, Sam Collins is our staff with Campus Outreach, uh, and he and one of the students have been doing an investigative Bible study with, uh, with one of the students at UC, UCSD. And uh, he, he, they invited him to come to church, uh, and his three other sweet mates said, hey, what are you doing? One's a Muslim, one's Middle Eastern, white, and Mexican. And they're like, hey, we're going to go to this church. They're like, sweet, can we come? And they came. And as we debriefed, and, and as he debriefed and said, what was it like for you in your experience? One of the things they said was, we loved the fact that there was diversity. Mm. There's something going on here in this room where even, like, uh, we felt like there's a unique spot. And this is very unique. And so that was an open door, a positive kind of sense. And we've heard that before. And they came back again this past Sunday, just a couple of days ago. So that initial open door of, wow, there's a diversity piece here in this context of the church that's been in an open way. Um, and, of course, there's more. And we'll get to the bad and ugly, mm-hmm. too. But that's been a positive. Thank you. So three quick things for me. Uh, first, I personally have a greater compassion and empathy for my black and brown brothers and sisters, both in and outside of the church. Over time, I feel like I've developed a genuinely deep concern for issues of biblical justice that aren't informed by politics, but by relationships. Um, You know, it's one thing to lament injustice from afar, but when you're forced to sit and pray and counsel and comfort uh, members in the church who are going through the thick of it, where it's not just this far-off reality, but it's present for them. Uh, it, you can't help but develop empathy in a real way. Um, the, the second thing is I have a deeper appreciation for my own racial and ethnic identity. I love being Korean way more now. I listen to, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I listen to BTS now. Um, and you guys might think that's, that's silly, but for my wife and I, it's a safe haven, K-pop, right, and Korean dramas, because it feels like it's one of the things that remind us of who we are and how God has uniquely made us in his image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and third, uh, I haven't heard this from you guys, but my church takes care of me um, and my family and respects my boundaries. My wife isn't expected to be the unofficial uh, co-pastor who's unpaid. My kids don't hate the church, and they don't think that... Uh, that I love the church more than I love them. Uh, My church doesn't expect me to work for pennies and to overwork for the sake of the gospel. Uh, And as much as I love the Korean church, I've heard from many brothers, even those of you here, about the very real and unrealistic demands that the Korean church often places on pastors. One of the major advantages that I feel like I have working in a non-Korean church is that I do very much feel cared for and feel seen uh, and, and, and I'm treated like a human being. Uh, not an employee of the church, but first and foremost, uh, a sinner in need of the Savior. So, Well, you've all shared the, the joy uh, and the good of serving in this context. Uh, what are some of the, the hard parts, uh, the bad and, and the ugly of serving in this context too? All right, I'll try to keep this real brief. This is the longest section for me. Um, so uh, uh, just a couple things for the bad. Um, Pragmatically speaking, discipleship and evangelism in a multi-ethnic, cross-cultural, and socioeconomically diverse context is just really hard. Um, because I come from an Asian-American, you know, middle-class, educated background, fig- you know, I, I, I'm most gifted and most affected at ministering to that particular people group uh, and trying to figure out how to minister not only uh, to, 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 to white people who uh, run the gamut in terms of socioeconomics, who are, who, many who are really highly educated, uh, but also some who are, who are not, right, who, who, who are from the neighborhood who are poor, and then figuring out how to uh, interact with the various... We're, my wife and I, were some of the only Koreans in the church, right? We just doubled our Korean uh, uh, membership recently with another Korean-American family who uh, joined the church, right? Um, 
and, and then, you know, bl uh, you know, black folks, right? They're not a monolith either, right? We have African-Americans, we have Africans, we have people from Trinidad and the Barbados, right, from the islands. Uh, Latinos, not a monolith, right? Um, you, you get the point. So practically speaking, discipleship and evangelism is actually really hard. Uh, especially when the piece, I think especially as Presbyterians, we highly value education and being literate, and we do discipleship in a particularly academic, heavy way. Um, that's not, you, you can't do that when you're uh, serving in a, uh, a, a socioeconomically diverse context. You can't assume literacy. Mm. Uh, the second thing is it's extremely lonely and isolating for all the reasons that I mentioned. Outside of my family, we only had one Korean member at our church for many years and only a handful of Asians. And it's only in the last year that after developing deeper relationships with other Korean Americans in the PCA and even also in our city that I feel like I can uh, have safe space where I can unapologetically be me. But to be honest with you, much of the time at our, my church, I feel like I've got to hide a portion of who I really am. I feel like I can't fully be who I am for the sake of pastoring my church. So that's the bad. Here's the ugly. I'll keep this uh, brief as well. Um, one, one aspect that's really ugly of multi-ethnic ministry is just the very real experiences of racism, right? both subtle and also not so subtle. People leaving the church because they don't know how to submit to non-white leadership. Having an elder of your multi-site church gaslight you when you're mourning the racial violence against your Asian-American brothers and sisters. Your wife being called the name of the one other Asian-American female member in the church, even though neither of these sisters look alike. Right? or sound alike, right? or talk alike. Uh, the constant sense of imposter syndrome that comes with being a non-white pastor over members who think they know more than you and believe they have the right to criticize your preaching and your ministry. Right? I know the non-white members talk about me, but they do it behind my back. Right? Um, but it's much harder to receive it right? and to feel uh, like, man, I, I, I must really be doing something wrong. So that's one aspect that's really challenging uh, the second aspect for me, the ugly, I say, is the tokenization and what I've heard Duquan um, articulate as the commodification of diversity. Mm. Um, I think that multi-ethnic churches, particularly those led by white pastors, I love these brothers, but I think often they're the most guilty of tokenizing people of color and valuing us primarily uh, for what we look like and not who we are. Uh, I very much experienced this myself. Um, it's humiliating. It doesn't feel good. It's simply window dressing. And I've had frank discussions with two of my elders uh, about the fact that we were loved and put through for ordination in part because we made our church website look really good. And we made our former pastor's fundraising letters really look really good and really diverse. And, you know, uh, it, it all comes down to power dynamics at the end of the day. Who really has the power in the church, right? Who ultimately has the influence and sway in the church? Is there really a seat at the table for us to help shape and influence the culture and mission and vision of the church? More often, it's not. It's just window dressing. So that's a bit of the ugly. Thanks, Ma. Thanks for sharing. In terms of uh, let's see, bad and ugly... I think one of the unique things, especially over the past three years, was when you're at, a, at our church, when all the race uh, of our culture was, was all heightened, um, in our church setting, everything just becomes amplified and the temperature felt like it, was, it had just gone up. And there's no words or anything to be said, but you could almost feel the tension in those contexts. And it's just so hard to try to navigate this when um, there's a deep sense of hurt a deep sense of silence. Are you like not like what's going on and the narratives that's going on just to that that type of amplification of the hurt that was really hard. And then you see people who leave because they leave quietly. And you see people who do talk and they just kind of and you're just trying to listen, engage, and you're just getting it from multiple perspectives. So I, I would say the beauty and the brokenness of it all is that there's there's a sense of diversity, but there, it was amplified when the cultural issues went up, the temperature went up in, in, in our context. Mm. I think the second thing is, um, as much as I just, just said, the good thing is that there's a, wow, this is great. It looks great when you see it. But I'll be honest with you, uh, it can be really uncomfortable 
when you press into community, it could be really uncomfortable. And uh, when my daughter, she just graduated from high school, I remember when she was two years old, and one of the things we tried to teach her was like, hey, no boundaries, because she was like super gregarious. And we would say like, hey, stranger danger. I don't know if that's even said anymore. But she would go to the park and later on, she'd be pointing to people, stranger danger, stranger. I'm like, oh my gosh. She's pointing to random people like, you're a stranger, you're dangerous. And uh, I could literally see it in some people in, in our, who are visiting, like, stranger danger. Like, I feel so awkward. I don't know what to say. And church should be like a welcoming spot, but you just like, you just, I don't know what to do. It's awkward, the time after the service. And so I mentioned that to say one of the challenges is just pressing into community that doesn't just look great on a picture, but going into it and pressing into that. That's, that's, been, a, that's been a challenge. And I think the third one is... From my, my years of experience in, you know, in, in, in this setting, it is constantly, as a pastor, on the back of my mind. Mm. It's always there. It's one of our values. Yes, it is. But you're always thinking about it in such a way that it could just become mentally and emotionally exhausting. Um, you're, you, and to think about it and, you know, make sure it's not just strategy of manipulation or not idolatry or just trying to, like, do, it just, you know, to push against that and say, where's the gospel here? But to always think that through in terms of ministry as another layer, it's, it's just there. And after a while, it's, it's just constantly there. So I would say that's a challenge in terms of just, like, bandwidth mentally as, as uh, in pastoring in that, in that space that I'm a part of. I'll try to keep it short. The bad, um, well, I, I think we all know that the stickiness to church, what keeps people at your church are relationships, uh, friendships. Um, being at a multi-ethnic church makes those relationships harder. Not impossible, but harder. Birds of a feather flock together. And uh, there's so much more comfort in being able to fellowship with someone who has a similar background as you. And so what's, what I've seen over the years at our church is what might initially draw someone out to our church is the very reason why they leave our church. And so they're attracted by the multi-ethnic demographics of our church. But after maybe about a year, they end up leaving and going back to a mono-ethnic setting. And the reason is because the, the fellowship was harder uh, mm. than they realized. Mm. Um, as far as the ugly, I think I made it ugly over the years. Uh, we started out uh, 99% Korean American, but from day one, diversity was a value. And so one of the things that I had to repent of over the years is the sin of favoritism. So you can imagine diversity of value, and I see a non-Asian walk in. I found myself paying more attention uh, to the non-Asians, and, and that's something that I had to, to repent over. So that's it. Thank you, guys. Uh, this question is for, for Jeff and Paul. Um, David Foster Wallace has a very famous commencement speech called This is Water. And Wallace says that there are two young fish swimming in the water, and an older fish is swimming right past the two young fish. And the older fish says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim by the older fish, and one of the younger fish says to the other fish, what's water? And the point of that illustration is that when you're swimming in something long enough, uh, you stop seeing the water. And for those of us serving in a uh, KM-EM dynamic, that's the water we swim in. Uh, But because of that, we stop seeing that water. Uh, You guys are out of that water, uh, as you take a look into that water, uh, what is your view of ethnic churches today? What place do they have uh, today? Uh, I feel like the question should be flipped in that in the history of the church, it seems like ethnic churches are the norm and multi-ethnic churches are the, uh, not the norm. Um, i I feel like they're absolutely vital and necessary for kingdom work, being able to reach uh, the majority of humanity um, and enabling them to go deep in in community and uh, attract 
people uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I also think that ethnic churches uh, uh, have a, a great platform in being able to address issues that pertain to a particular culture in a way that multi-ethnic churches uh, may not be able to do so. And so uh, just as I shared about the beauty of having alternate perspectives inform my understanding of Scripture and of God, uh, I think ethnic churches uh, could do the same for the global church in being able to speak on issues that other uh, ethnicities may not be able to see. So. I knew this question was coming, so I was trying to think about it, and uh, it's kind of three quick thoughts for me, and they're, they're, they're somewhat disjointed with regard to um, my thinking about view of ethnic churches in the context of space of my own experience. So I, I'm just going to say there's just a very limited one-person view with my own experience going in. But that being said, um, I would say, one, um, no one type of church can reach out to an area, especially if it's diverse. That is just an impossibility. Right? No one church can be the exact fit for everyone in every community. And uh, even when you say multi-ethnic church, you heard it, no one, even that doesn't, that's, you cannot effectively reach out to everyone. So uh, we have a family, uh, a, a Mexican family who's with us for four or five years. And they've constantly told me how hard it's been to plug into our church. And it's just so difficult. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, just, so that's been a humbling thing to, to realize. No one church can, so it's not an either or, it's not, it's not, it's, it's a both and in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And there's certain groups of people in, in whether geography or settings that people are going to reach out to in a, in, in a space that um, you're uniquely to for the sake of the kingdom and to acknowledge that. That's, that's the one, that's the first thing. The second thing is, again, this is not just somewhat dis- disjointed thoughts, but my observation coming in is this, that there is something that I um, have, just from my lens of observation in um, ethnic churches, in Asian American, Korean American churches, I just see a beautiful, deep connection and fellowship and friendship. And maybe that's just an observational thing, or there's something that's really deep, and, uh, and I think it's those, like, there's these, it, you're in Christ, but in the in Christness, there's also the outreach and the discipleship of shared context that kind of brings you together. And that discipleship looks like, like, my parents are getting older. And, like, as they're getting older, what does it mean as a Korean-American person, as a pastor, and as a person to, like, honor them well in this setting? Mm. You know, what does it mean to think through uh, uh, feeling like this third space Asian-American guy in this context and having those? And, and so I think there's something about that shared effectiveness in Christness and, and the story of discipleship that's really powerful and it brings the bonds together. It's sort of like when I, um, I went to Berkeley and I know Robin and several other Cal alums are there and whenever I see anyone walking down the street and they were at Berkeley, I cannot help but shout, Go Bears! Because there's something about this connection point that's there in me embedded and I, and I, and I see or sense that and it's beautiful. It's this thick community that uh, I think is really rich and profound. Mm. And I think that's a positive thing. Mm. Um, the third thing I would say uh, in terms of view is I think, I think the enemy really wants to do a number on creating division and uh, bringing about false stories and idolatry when it comes to this discussion of ethnic and multi-ethnic churches. Mm. And uh, I think what I mean by that is this, you know, you heard, is it JV or varsity? And so I think that the danger that I, that I struggle with, too, is the, the idolatry of a certain kind of ministry that's uh, multi-ethnic. And, uh, and so my point in sharing that is I was just rec- recently reading through uh, 2 Samuel 13 in Bible reading, and it's a story of Amnon and Tamar. And all of you are aware of this. And Amnon was, like, in love with his, you know, sister Tamar and was, like, I, you know, romantically in this. And finally, after a very inappropriate engagement, he grew disgusted and angry. Mm-hmm. And there's a line that says he now hated her more than when he had desired her. Mm-hmm. And this might be, like, the one of the weird things to say, but I guess what? Multi-ethnic ministry is, like, Tamar. And we can be like Amnon. Like, there's, there's a sense of, like, I covet it and want it so much that it's JV to the varsity. That's idolatry. But on the flip side, when you get to experience that or you don't get it and you're hurt, 
and you're spurned in your heart. You become angry. You become hurt and saying, oh, forget them. And so then you become the opposite side of like this reaction of pain, of, of, of um, a deep sense of woundedness. And then if you do that, then you'll move in the opposite direction of ethnic churches. That can be out of uh, self-righteousness or just a sense of angry. Man, those people, no, that was bad. We're going to do our own stuff. And just the observation of how that, can, that, that idolatry can just go deep both sides I just think that's, that's a lens and perspective um, that I've had to wrestle with uh, and uh, just thought, I, I thought maybe that might be helpful to share. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, sometimes uh, multi-ethnic spaces, this is for Mo and Paul, sometimes multi-ethnic spaces can actually be the most unsafe space uh, for minorities because even when you're multi-ethnic, there still is a majority culture taking place. Um, how effective are multi-ethnic ministries for minorities then if it feels like an unsafe space sometimes? Um, I think the answer can be both. Like, I remember one, the question with that was, can it work? And I'm like, um, yes and no. If I'm, it just, might, just might kind of thinking through it all. I think it could be a real hard spot when you're um, in a minority in, in a majority space and you just feel like you're going through stuff and it just, you, the response in the leadership or the people, it just, there's a sense of like, it, the response, it just feels so tone deaf or it just feels like they're not getting it or it just feels like it's platitudes and it's not engaging the heart or seeking to understand and there's a deep sense of frustration and I don't feel connected and, uh, and if it's sort of like, well, not willing to listen or not willing to engage, that makes it really hard. Mm. And to, so I, I just think that makes, you know, so in a ministry setting like that, what can I say? I mean, no one wants to just become consumeristic and just move churches for the sake of doing that. But to acknowledge that kind of like tension and hard point, I just, that's difficult. Um, on the other side, though, I, uh, I think the gospel can do something to be effective in, in using this particular space, even in that. And oftentimes, I think it's related to, um, I think it's related to a gospel and leadership culture, and underneath that is a, is a, is among the leadership and in the church, a church culture, leadership culture, deeper into a gospel culture. Mm-hmm. And if if it's a if it's a space of a multi ethnic church, and that's one of the gospel values that you're bringing out, I think I would encourage and challenge those churches in the space. Say then press into that in your values and discipleship. What does it mean then to shepherd a diverse group of people? What does it mean to be kind of self-aware of your own blind spots, hearing people's stories, the agility to just be humble to come in as a learner? I think those things are part of the gospel culture that needs to be embedded for it to, uh, for it to, um, to kind of take root and, 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 uh, and become more healthy. So in light of those challenges, I think one of the things I would say is in this space of knowing even in a multi-ethnic church and because of those unique challenges that, that, that are in place. For those of you who are minority pastors, there is a need for your space and your perspective and your experience to lead in those spaces. Because it's a unique part of like your story and awareness of like sensitivities to this stuff. So I just want to, I hope it'll, it'll be encouraging, challenging to go, if that's what God's calling you to do, or there's a place for that, I can think of like, this, this is a very effective spot for, for your narrative and your story in the gospel to be situated in that, to help bring about a unique gospel culture, because it does get messy and it does get hard, but the gospel is true and it is powerful. So thank you. Mo? Yeah, so the question is, are they still effective for minorities? Do they work? Um, Biblically speaking, I think God can use anything, right? Um, So obviously, in a a very real Calvinistic way, I believe, yes, multi-ethnic churches can be effective for minorities. But I... And, you know, I even think that I'm proof of the beautiful ways in which God has used the church to disciple me and to mature me in my own walk. But I do believe also that um, oftentimes, at least in the churches that I've seen and witnessed and have been a part of, I do think that minorities often unfairly bear the burden. 
and pay the cost of being at a multi-ethnic church in a way that our white members simply don't have to. Um, and, and I'm just speaking from my experience again. I'm not speaking for Jeff or Paul. Uh, but because at our church, most, most, not all, but most of our white members really enjoy being part of a multi-ethnic church for various reasons. It's the kind of church that they seek out. But most of our members who are people of color, most of them have stumbled into our church by accident, right? And they remain largely because they feel like God has called them to remain, not because they want to. Um, do they love the community? Yes. Do they have relationships? Yes. Do they love the church? Absolutely. But they're also asked to give up a lot more in terms of comfort, in terms of culture, in terms of power, right? Um, and I'll be honest, there have been times where uh, when, uh, when non-white members have come up to me and shared their struggles, um, I've given them gospel freedom uh, to leave if they have felt like, man, this is not a safe space for, my, for, uh, for me and my family. For some reason, they stick around. Um, but they've shared with me candidly um, that if my family were to go and our church was replaced by a white pastor, they would have been gone a long time ago. So there's a real challenge there of doing ministry effectively. Yeah, Stephen Young once said that the Asian American experience is when you can see everyone else, but nobody can see you. And so when you're in a multi-ethnic context and you can see everyone else, but no one can see you, uh, especially as minority pastors, we really do have to make sure that Asian Americans in particular and people of color are really seen and not just lost in the masses. So thank you for that. Uh, Jeff, uh, Mo, Moses shared a little bit about um, his passion for BTS. Uh, how has being uh, in a multi-ethnic co- uh, context uh, shaped and formed your own racial identity? Yeah, this has been huge for me as far as uh, self-awareness and self-discovery in recent years. Uh, uh, I didn't know this, but I was deeply unconsciously ashamed of being Korean. Uh, I remember in the early 90s when K-pop first came out and you had Sateji and Solid, I had no interest whatsoever to listen to that music. Uh, when K-dramas came you know, overseas and became popular, I, the first K-drama I ever watched was two years ago. I had no interest whatsoever. And it's not like I had disdain for Korean culture, I just wasn't interested. And then last year, last summer, my family and I had the opportunity to visit Korea. And I remember visiting one of the old ancient palaces and I was absolutely dumbfounded by what I saw. I saw blonde, white women dressed in hanboks taking pictures in front of the palace. I saw white people, brown people, black people. I even saw a sheik, full-on hanbok, taking pictures. Mm. I'm like, what is going on? Mm. And I realized they were renting the hanboks and they were, in a way, reenacting their favorite K-dramas. The reason why it was so puzzling for me is because when I was little, I despised hanboks. Because nothing screamed, I am Korean, like wearing a hanbok. And so while all of my cousins might be wearing a hanbok on New Year's Day, I was the only one in regular clothes, regular clothes. And it was at that moment where I realized, you know, I'm carrying a lot of shame. elementary school, I was one of two Asians. And, uh, and, and so I've, I've come to more recently embrace my Koreanness. But w- one other ministry application, in the early years of our, our church plant, we used to ask our members to provide snacks after worship. And I remember one of the families brought kimbap, and I got so upset. And I remember telling our leaders, guys, we are a multi-ethnic church. Don't bring food that's going to turn off non-Koreans. Looking back, I realized the reason why I got mad is because I wanted a mono-ethnic church. I wanted to push white American culture onto Mm. our church. Mm. And so out of repentance, what we do every Thanksgiving now is we ask all of our people to bring food that reflects their culture and it's a wonderful celebration as everyone's trying foods I've never had before. And I think that's a more accurate reflection 
of what a multi-ethnic church looks like. Great. Mo, this is a, a question for you, a, a question that I've been thinking about for um, quite a bit of time, but oftentimes the race conversation is a black and white conversation. Uh, as Asian Americans um, and our voice, what, where does our voice fit in the conversation regarding Christianity and and even within our denomination, uh, the PCA, what do we as Asian Americans have to offer? So prior to uh, GA, the, the, those of us who were supposed to participate, participate in this call, including Abe uh, Cho, who's served, serving with City to City and also on staff at Redeemer East Harlem, he shared, he talked about how Asian, one, one of the things he's noticed um, is that as Asian Americans, we have this strange uh, role where uh, we are largely invisible to everybody, right? And so uh, we're kind of the safe minority for a majority white brothers and sisters, right? Where we're not viewed as very threatening, uh, and yet we don't quite fit in with our black and brown brothers and sisters, right? Where do we fit in? Um, I, I think, in my experience, I think of two words. I think of bridge building and advocacy, um, because of this unique space that we occupy, I really think we can serve uh, to build bridges between cultures and ethnicities and races. Um, we've had people confide in us, my, my wife Jane and I, uh, struggles that they've never felt the freedom to do with our previous pastor and his wife, both of whom uh, were white. Uh, back in 2015 or 2016, the summer of 2015 or 2016, I don't remember, but there was a string of racial violence which escalated and concluded with uh, a, a police officers in Dallas being shot. I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, and the week after, in our community group, uh, one of our members, uh, two weeks later, actually, one of our uh, uh, members at the time had stopped coming out to church. And she actually came out to our community group. And she came out and she, came out and she said, yeah, I haven't been to work and I haven't been to church because I'm trying to avoid white people. Um, and I could never, sh- and she said, I could never share this with our pastor and his, and his wife, because they wouldn't understand. But even though we were not black, they felt uh, comfortable enough with us to share because we are minorities and we keenly uh, can lean into the minority experience in ways. Uh, there are shared com- commonalities because um, even though uh, many of us as Asian Americans, the goal is assimilation, the truth is we have experienced discrimination in real ways, right? Um, and we, we know what it's like to feel like the other. So I do think... Uh, there's a unique space that Asian Americans can occupy in building, helping build bridges and advocating, particularly for the voiceless, the oppressed, and the marginalized. Yeah. And just, just to add another layer to that, I, I do think that uh, not only do Asian Americans have something to offer, uh, but for those of you who are second generation, uh, you have something very unique to offer. And the third generation will also have something unique to offer that is different than what the second and first generation had to offer as well. And so it'll be fascinating to see what every generation has to offer uh, as far as our voice. Uh, Mo, just two more questions. Uh, in under one minute, um, what, do you, what do you want to share about uh, you know, being a minority pastor, serving in a majority context that you've never felt the freedom to say before? Let's, let's keep this, you know... Uh, the, here's what I'll say. Um, the grass is not greener on the other side. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Um, the work that you guys who serve in ethnic-specific churches, the work that you're doing is not any less significant than the work that we are uh, participating in. Um, we need everything, all hands on deck for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and wherever you go, there you are. You're a sinner. And your flock, also sinners. Mm. So Great. Yeah. Uh, final question before we open it up to everyone else. Uh, Paul, if you can wrap us up. Uh, if anyone here feels a call uh, to multi-ethnic ministry, what, what are some pieces of advice that you would give to them? So one personal, personally sharing and then practically. Uh, personally, God has uh, in his sovereignty embedded you into a unique story. So part of it is knowing your story and his providence to know how he has shaped you in your wiring as you sense this sense of call and, and looking into that. What are some of those, those, those parts to it? I think secondly, I mean, with regard to that, with the story, just doing a lot of like praying before Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit do some significant things in your heart to go, am I making this an idol? 
is this a JV to varsity type of thing? Uh, or, you know, on the flip side, am I, you know, just all that I just shared, the Amnon, I think just heart stuff. And then third, I mean, with that is getting people who are uh, trusted friends, mentors, and people into your life to speak into and speak into it. Not just people who be like, dude, you're going to kill it, bro. Mm. But like, you know what? I, I just don't see that. You know, I don't, I don't see that. And I've had people speak into that saying, you know, I, I don't see that's a good opportunity for you. And I appreciate that. So the different lenses, that's the personal thing. I think on the practical, if you sense this, um, I think, I know there's more than this, but let me just quickly lay this out there. And if there's follow-up questions, more than happy to do it. You could either church plant, merge, or think about existing multi-ethnic churches. And I'm speaking to PCA. And if there's multi-ethnic churches, it's like, where are they? And so let me speak really quick into it. You could be, if you sense that, you could church plant. And there's a church planting uh, with that, that, that value, vision and value in mind. And um, there's a unique sense of call to that. I would encourage you to do team ministry. I would, <laughs> to, to get coaching and support and just, that would be one route to, to, to go into. I think the second is, and I'm seeing this, and this is part of our story, and I think it's going to happen more and more, is if you're in a, in a maybe a, you know, a Korean American space or whatnot, I think we're going to see more merges happen. Mm. And as we see, as you see different merges happening, that's another way to consider um, that what, what we might think about moving forward. I don't have time to talk about the dynamics. I, there was an article for a solar network um, that they asked me to share, and I can give you can read that, and I share my perspective on on church merges. But I think that's another direction. And the third one, as I mentioned, is like what's existing kind of multi-ethnic churches, and even that's already like small. And then when you think about the PCA, that's really small. But I do think about examples, whether it's New York Redeemer or Mariner's Church or Saddleback Church, or um, if they're, they're already ethnically diverse in some way, right, whatever that means, and they have a vision for church planting, and they're hiding off ministries like that with, with the vision and value in mind to reach out for the gospel, I think that's another way that could happen. Um, for us, we planted a church a couple of years ago. We hived off people. And, and with, with, with the leadership team. And uh, that's, a, that's a third kind of option just to maybe consider. I'm sure there must be more, but just from a very practical lens, um, those are some things you want to just kind of rest, uh, kind of think about and process through if you want to take that next step to go, what, what would that look like? All right. Thank you, guys. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.